hello, hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Mike the Gardener Gardening Podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Crammed with certified organic growing power, if you're looking for amazing results with all of your fruit and vegetables, your flower beds, your lawns and houseplants, then Natural Growers award-winning certified organic peat-free compost and fertiliser knock the socks off chemical products. All products are certified organic, 100% chemical-free and 100% peat-free. And those lovely people at Natural Grower have given me an exclusive 10% discount off all products for my listeners. Just pop Mike 10, M-I-C, the number 10, in the apply coupon field when you check out. In this week's episode, I chat to smallholder, YouTube sensation and author Liz Zorab about her brand new book, The Seasoned Gardener, which has just been published by Permanent Publications. This is Liz's second book, her first being Grounded, and in it she takes her readers on a highly entertaining and joyful celebration through the seasons. It's a personal and yet totally relatable journey of growing and learning through the gardening year. I chat to Liz about how she started gardening, how her small holding came about, and then, just to mix things up, how she started her own successful YouTube channel, which has a current following of, wait for it, over 120,000 subscribers. It's an inspirational story in so many ways and on so many levels. And if you've been thinking about starting a small holding or homestead, Liz shares some great information about things to consider before you start. I started our conversation by sharing some words which have been used to describe her. I'm going to throw some descriptive words at you to start with, and it's all very good, so nothing to worry about. Uh (laughs) YouTube sensation, 120,000 subscribers, over 3 million views a year, weekly videos, and the winner of the 2022 Garden Media Guild blog or vlog of the year. You're, I haven't finished, I haven't finished. Gardening expert on BBC Radio Wales, author of Grounded in 2021, a copy of which I have here in front of me. Thank you very much indeed. The Seasoned Gardener, which we'll be talking about due out on the 30th of April, 2023. Homesteader, gardener and cook. Now, what I wondered is when you go through passport control and you're completing reams of forms and they ask for <laughs> occupation, what do you put, Liz Zorab? I write smallholder. <laughs> Just oh. leave it at that. <laughs> right, okay. Smallholder, homesteader. Uh-huh. For those people out there that might not know, what is a smallholder or a homesteader? So um, in in the UK, smallholding has quite a specific um definition so it's a it's a farm-like uh, place where there's usually a dwelling but not always uh, and it's under 50 acres so once you get to over 50 acres it's a farm okay under 50 acres is a small holding and um same as a, a homestead uh, elsewhere it is a place where people live they um 
they grow food or raise animals to uh, feed their family. And very often, but not always, they then also sell uh, some of that produce to bring an income in. Okay. So picking up on that first figure then, the 50 acres, whereabouts are you on the acreage front? So, oh, way down low. Uh, so we are on four and a half acres that we own. Uh, and we have access to another six and a half acres uh, at some point in the future, should we want that. How did you arrive here? What happened? Because you've not always done this, as I understand it. What was the turning point? What was the catalyst to make this happen? So um, I've gardened uh, in a kind of ordinary sized garden for like forever in a day and um, and had ordinary jobs and about seven or eight years ago I started feeling quite unwell uh, and then I got very unwell and realised after a four months bed bound that I was not going to be returning to standard employment type roles um, but I still wanted to find some way of having an economical input into our family uh, so I said to uh, my husband Mr Jay why don't I stay at home, which means I don't have to have a second car, we don't have to buy all those clothes, I don't have to buy lunches and all those things. Why don't I stay at home and grow as much of our food as possible, which then means our costs are lower and my financial input is providing food. And he okay. just said, sounds perfect. And so that's what we did. So at that point, we were buying our previous home, which was about three quarters of an acre. Mm -hmm. And I very slowly developed that into a vegetable garden and a food forest and a flower garden and then a kind of market garden area. I need you to and... back the truck up a little bit. A food forest sounds enormous. Now... So a food forest is an idea rather right. than rather than a size. So food forest is the idea that you are growing in an area that mimics the natural habitat of a woodland or a forest. Okay. So there are layers of plants. So you might have a top story and an understory and then shrubs, um, herbaceous plants, climbers, roots, things. And it's a much more sort of naturalistic uh, look to it than, than your average veg garden. Okay. And it will combine edible plants as well as things that are beneficial for uh, for wildlife, so it might be things that will bring in pollinators. Oh, lovely. So you've got the whole package in there, really. Mm, yes. You've got the aesthetics, you've got the food, you've got the, the wildlife aspect as well. Yeah. So at the beginning, you said you were bedbound for four months. At the very beginning or midway through that, did you see sort of like, were you concerned about how you were going to go forward? When did this moment come when you thought I could do this so I can actually start to produce my own food? Oh, we were buying the house as I became bedboned. And so I did question the sanity of buying something with three quarters of an acre when I actually had trouble getting up from the bed and going to the bathroom. Yeah. But I, you know, I am a seriously stubborn person. I am, and it was just like, I so want to do this. I have always wanted small house, big garden, and just to, to be able to to gone to my heart's content and so I think the point when I really thought okay I need to do this was pretty much as we were moving into that house it was there was that sort of moment of well whatever it takes 
I'm going to do this thing. Mm. And I just, I need to find a way. And it was incredibly slow. You know, I had to learn how to push a wheelbarrow while using walking sticks. Not fun. Um, <laughs> but the more that I did, and as I was healing anyway, I was getting better anyway, but the, the more I did, the, the more well I became. So, you know, it just, it was a, it fed into itself, which was very nice. I just kind of, I got better. So I did more and I got better and I did more. Mm. Um, and so, you know, so it was a very healthy process that. And what was your knowledge of and experience of gardening and growing your own at this point? Had you had a history of growing your own produce or gardening? So I've been gardening for a very long time. Um, my father used to take me out into the garden and show me what he was growing. And he'd do, show me, I remember him showing me futures and and he was kind of showed me how if you if you well actually he showed me snapdragon so he showed me antirhinum and how if you kind of squeeze them they open up yeah yeah you can see inside them but there were also futures and i learned very quickly that if you squeeze a future flower it pops open uh, which probably wasn't what he had intended to show me <laughs> but from that moment onwards <laughs> i was kind of hooked it's like there's this beautiful colored kind of globe dangly thing that if i squeeze it then all of a sudden these bits pop out the middle of it and I was just fascinated by it and I just thought it was great and I was I was really very small when that happened um but I didn't really kind of get into get into gardening until I had my own house mm, or, often or the way. I don't, not even the my way. own house but when I left home and had uh, my first bedsit with a garden and it really wasn't much more than a whole uh, area of greenery with these kind of white trumpety flower things in them which you know as time's gone on I learned very quickly that uh, those were bindweed but I thought they were beautiful and so I had a garden full of bindweed and a few asters um <laughs> and <laughs> did, fuchsias? did you have fuchsias I didn't have fuchsias for a long long time actually um and then in oh when I was in my 30s or early 40s I moved to Wales and um, um got quite a, a reasonable sized garden now so it was about 40 feet wide and about 110 feet long i can't do that in metric sorry mm. um and i divided that garden to half and half half was flowers and half was fruit and veg and mm. that was the point so 1999 the year 2000 was the, the first time i started really seriously trying to grow food for the family um and i've just been hooked i've been hooked ever since so you moved this was around 2016 am i right in saying you were ill in about 2015 mm -hmm. and then you moved 2016 yeah yep. so you started making a growing space with a with a small budget but you also as if that wasn't enough you started a blog <laughs> yes as you said earlier your health also began to prove but tell me tell me about the blog how did the blog come about what had been your experience of writing um there have been hadn't really written very much but when i became ill i i wrote a personal account of that in uh, a private space so it was in a support group space and lots of people said to me oh you're so funny you need to share this publicly and i didn't actually want to share my health issues mm. publicly because they were still a bit raw but as we moved i thought no i'm actually going to share the the process of moving into this um this house which you know was it already had a small holding number so it was a small holding we moved into the small holding i wanted to kind of kind of log the process of that 
and to record it, partly for me to be able to look back on, but partly uh, also for my family to see. And that became, that was quite a successful blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, quite a lot of people watched, uh, looked at every post. Um, and I did that for about a year and a bit. And then I was trying to explain some, I was trying to explain making a hotbed. Um, and I, it was just so complicated to get out there and take enough photographs as I was making it. I thought it would be much easier if I just did a little video. So I just took like a 90 second video of what I was doing to explain more fully. Uh, and I put that on my blog and that was really well received. And it was not long after that. I thought, actually, it becomes it is so much easier to tell the story via video than to write it. So this is just me being lazy in some ways. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, I started a YouTube channel and started posting on there on a regular basis. Right. So as we said at the very top, 120,000 followers, let me just rewind back to that time you were making the hotbed, you decided to take a video. What was your knowledge of making videos at that time? Had you had experience of that? Uh, I had made one previous video when I had stood in front of work colleagues and pressed the record button and asked them to send a happy birthday message to my brother. And that was it. That was my entire <laughs> wow, my entire experience. So no idea at all. No idea what I was doing. So it was a fairly steep learning curve. And here you are now, you're doing a video a week. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a lot of people waiting for those videos. How has your video processing changed from that first one with a camera in hand to what you're doing now? Because I mean, what you're doing now is like, it's worthy of the big screen, Liz. It's, it's oh, clever stuff. You. It's lovely stuff to watch. And it's, it's a joy. So um, how has it changed? Well, I started with uh, my phone. So recording on my phone, um, no microphone, uh, no tripod or selfie stick or anything. I was literally just holding the phone in front of me um, and recording. And most of the time I wasn't on the screen to start with. And then when I decided to do the YouTube channel, I had to turn the camera around so I could actually be on the uh and uh um uh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My first videos were like every other word was either um or uh, um, because I was so nervous and I just, I really didn't want to be on camera, but I kind of knew that, that this was the way forward for me. So did, did you have a vision? Did you sort of have an idea of where you wanted to go with it at that time? And that's why you knew you had to put the camera on you or was that just an organic oh, I was, like, thing? I that... super naive. I thought <laughs> I was going to start making videos and I was going to have this massive following instantly and earn loads of money from it. I mean, you know, I was so naive. And then someone, uh, I was watching a video and somebody said, the thing with YouTube is that it is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. And it can really take, you know, quite a long time, like seven to 10 years back then, not necessarily now, but back then, but seven to 10 years to, to be earning enough via YouTube to kind of call it you're making a living. And I thought, oh, I thought this was going to happen in like three or six months or something. So I did have to kind of rethink my strategy (laughs) a bit and accept that that was going to take a much longer time. And who inspired you at that time? Because you'd obviously, I guess, seen other videos that other people were creating. Did you have any inspiration? They were, and they were pretty much uh, almost all American homesteaders. Right. Um, 
So um, I'm just, I will drop a few names. Um, Dan at uh, Grassfed Homestead, uh, Justin Rose, um, Art and Bree were the three kind of big homesteading channels uh, that I had found at that point. And about a year later, I, I then discovered there were a whole host of uh, garden YouTubers that are in the UK. Um, so I um, I got very brave and kind of uh, carried on watching those. And I, I tried to, to reach out by leaving comments in a few of those gardeners' YouTube videos. And then I got a message um, via Instagram from Hugh Richards, mm-hmm. who said, hello, Liz, really like what you're doing on your YouTube channel. Keep it up. And I thought, well, after I'd run around the kitchen going, <gasps> you know, <laughs> Hugh's messaged me. <laughs> <laughs> arms <laughs> flapping you know like <laughs> um i thought i need to just i just need to take this opportunity so i messaged him back and said thank you so much would you like to do a youtube collab at some point so some sort of collaborative video mm, mm. and he came back and said i'd love to so it took us about eight months to actually get that organized um but you know Hugh and i met face to face uh recorded a couple of videos with each other and we have become really firm friends and of course Hugh has written the foreword for your new book he has in fact he wrote the foreword for grounded and yeah. he's written the foreword for me but he is he's a good pal um we spend a lot of time laughing together uh, which is very good um and what i really like about uh, my friendship with Hugh is actually i'm old enough to be his grandmother <laughs> oh, yes. and it's <laughs> so no literally i am just about old <laughs> enough to be his grandma which means that there's that kind of intergenerational thing where we yeah. you know i've got kind of old wisdom and he's got new wisdom and that works really well yeah uh, in what combination. A lovely partnership yeah now, um, I'm, so that's I'm, all good fun <laughs> and i want to ask you now you you were watching these videos but were you watching from a technical perspective to learn about the video or were you also linked? Because obviously you, you were a new homesteader. So what was your, was, I guess it was both. Yes, absolutely both. Um, and I've got to say, making videos has ruined television for me. Because I watch things and I'll sit and say, oh, that was a good transition. And just... <laughs> so you're seeing the technical content <laughs> rather than see, the yes. entertainment content. Yes. Or the info- information content. Mm. I mean, I see, do see both, but you know, you know, we were watching Call the Midwife the other night, and it was like, oh, that was a good transition. Right, I wanted to learn how to do that, and it's just, <laughs> it's great to get inspiration from other places, but sometimes it's quite nice just to sit down and switch off. But then I guess you're clearly a very passionate and driven woman, so you you must look at these things like looking at a TV program. You're looking at the technical aspect. You're trying to enjoy the content of the program. Mm-hmm. You're also looking to do the very best in your homestead to get the best produce. Uh, yeah. And this is where now I'm at a bit of a dichotomy. Do I go this way or this way? Am I going to talk about the grow your own or am I going to talk about the videoing? Let's just talk about the produce. So you'd set out, you'd set up your homestead. It was becoming very successful. And clearly it was growing quite well because you actually started a small CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Veg Box Scheme. I did, yes. I kind of wanted to, there were two things going on there. One was I wanted to see whether I could. Yeah. So if I did it at a very small scale and it didn't work well, that was okay because at least I'd tried and I would have learned something from it. But the other thing is I kind of wanted to put my my money where my mouth was and saying to people, you know, 
if you're growing over, and I was growing on about half an acre, so the whole food forest flowers, you know, the bits that were planted up were about half an acre. And I was saying to people, you can feed a family and you can feed loads of other people on this. And I needed to to kind of back that up mm. with actually doing it. Mm. I needed to prove to myself that what I was saying was right. Um, and it didn't really matter about proving to other people, but I needed to know that I was not giving people the wrong advice. So did the CSA, uh, did it for seven seven families the first year, took it up to 20 shares the second year. Wow. Um, and it was still on that same piece of land and still producing the majority of our own food. So just it, it kind of a, it really confirmed to me that you don't need a huge amount of space to grow a lot of food. And I guess that's a really important message for anybody who's listening that's thinking about it and thinking about how much have I got a garden that, or a green space that's big enough. It doesn't have to be huge. No. So my, my vegetable garden uh, in our last home and in this home is the size of a 10 pole or 10 rod. I'm not sure what it's called, but a full allotment plot. So it's 250 square metres. Right. So no excuses, anybody out there, if you're thinking about <laughs> it head over to Liz's YouTube for inspiration, but it, it can be done clearly. Mm. Now, as if all of that wasn't enough, you decided at that time to start writing your first book, Grounded. Mm -hmm. What was your, I mean, you've done some blogging, but to go from blogging to writing a book is a big step. How did that come about? Um, I went to the Oxford Real Farming Conference in 2020, and I met Maddie Harland, who uh, is one of my my heroes, heroines, whatever the right word is. Mm. I look up to her enormously, um, and she is um, one of the editors of Permaculture Magazine and a co-owner of Permanent Publications. And coincidentally, uh, was also becoming my mentor uh, for some, a permaculture project I was doing. And uh, Maddie and I were chatting over a cup of tea and she said, Liz, do you fancy writing a book? Well, I didn't really need to be asked more than once and I didn't need to think about it very long. She almost hadn't said, do you fancy before I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did let her finish a sentence, but only just. Yeah, yeah, there's a lesson there. <laughs> Don't jump in quite too soon until you know what they're asking. <laughs> um, and so she was very clear. She said, will you, will you write the story? So she'd been following me and watching me on YouTube. So she knew that I could tell a story um, and she knew... And she knew the history. So she said, would I write write a book telling my story of uh, of our previous home? Mm. Um, and so I said, yes. And, and she said, great, send me a synopsis and we'll get everything that's all good, sorted. So I sat at home for three months thinking, what's a synopsis? How do I do that? What? So my biggest hurdle was actually understanding what it was that I needed to send her to be able to start the writing process. And I was on the phone to Hugh one day and he said, have you done that synopsis yet? I was like, no, because I don't know what it is. And he was like, oh, for goodness sakes, woman. <laughs> so he came down, <laughs> spent an afternoon with me and said, this is what is what it is. So let's just do one of those um, things where we just take all the ideas and chuck them down on paper. Yeah. Tell me what it is that you want to write about. And then we'll put together this synopsis. So he he brought down basically a blank sheet of paper 
uh, with some headings on it and said, fill that in, woman, get on with it. So I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it just takes somebody to hold your hand. Yeah, yeah, guide of you course. To that first step. So yeah. as soon as I got done that, it was like, well, now this is easy because I already knew what I wanted to be writing about. So I sent the synopsis off to, uh, to Maddie at Permanent Publications. He said, lovely. Uh, signed my contract and off I went. And I... I knew I had a time scale for writing grounded. Um, so I wanted to get it done in 20 weeks, which meant writing like three and a half thousand words a week or something. And I have learned that I am not somebody who can write a little bit each day because I need to read for quite a long time what I've already written yeah, to be yeah. able to then write the next bit to kind of get myself in the same headspace. Um, so I, what I actually ended up doing is writing maybe once every two or three weeks and writing a huge amount at a time. So I would just put my head down and write from the best part of the day and maybe the next day as well and then not look at it again for the best part of a month. But I actually wrote Grounded in 18 weeks. And, wow. Um, it would have been a lot less if I hadn't done quite such long gaps in between writing. But I had to kind of, I needed to be feeling it. Yeah, yeah. To be able to write. Um, so I did that. And um, and before Grounded was actually published, um, I asked print publications whether they would consider uh, a second book uh, with me. And they said, yes, please. So I signed. Before, before it was published. Before it was published, yeah. Okay. So yeah. I signed my driven, second. Driven. Driven. <laughs> <laughs> I signed my second contract uh, in the November and then Grounded came out in, in February. So. Uh, right. So okay. I so kind of... grounded. Um, mm -hmm. The wording on the back, which I'm reading here, an inspiring blend of practical tips and ideas with personal narrative and a good smattering of humour. So that humour you talked about earlier when you first started doing your writing is very apparent in the book. Now, 18 weeks, and I know you were doing lots of time to write, mm -hmm. but obviously the, the garden, the homestead. You, I know you have Mr. J. Mm -hmm. But what is well? What are Mr. J's responsibilities? What what's Mr. J's involvement with the homestead? Um, so he's not a gardener, um, but he does enjoy the produce from the garden. Um, but his role has been to help me move things that are too heavy for me to do myself. Mm. He does an incredible supporting role in terms of encouraging me, and I can't, I can't. Uh, understate how important that is um so he does masses and massive encouragement he actually works off-site so he brings in a regular income which allows me the luxury of of working at my own pace which means you know sometimes i've got money coming in and sometimes i haven't but yeah, you know, yeah. he keeps basically he keeps us going um through thick and thin um and then he does get involved in harvesting sometimes. We 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 do a kind of fairly regular potato harvest together, just because that's such a nice thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we do some other funny jobs together, and they usually involve sewage or mucking out or that sort of thing. The less pleasant jobs. He's, so he's very good. He joins in with the less pleasant jobs. Well, that's <laughs> that is very good. That's very lucky. Um, and I wondered in the time that you've been together, has Mister J actually? gained more of an interest in what you're doing or is his part just helping out when you ask him to do and these rather messy jobs that oh he's incredibly interested but yeah but he has he has other things that he does 
Uh, he has other things that are his interests. So gardening and, and the garden is my love. Um, and I have no intention of trying to force him out to, to get home in the garden with me. No. Because that's, that's my space. That sounds very familiar. Yes. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> in our new uh, in our new uh, homestead, he does actually have a much greater role with the animals. So right. we now have larger livestock. Um, and um, he has almost, well, not, I wasn't going to say primary, but almost sole responsibility for caring for the sheep. Um and we we split uh, the looking after the ducks fifty fifty. So he does he does do a lot more uh, now than in our last place. But you know we, we've got a bigger beast here. Right. So let's talk about the bigger beast. Mm. Um, late June two thousand twenty one, you moved to this bigger beast. Three quarters of the way up a Welsh mountain, overlooking yep. the Brecon Beacons, north facing, steep, and in your words, jolly windy. Yes. Why? I, I mean. Because what we was could. the vision? <laughs> um, so we knew the last place um, was also jolly windy. It was right down on the coast, but we were in between the two seven bridges, which meant we were in between two motorways. <laughs> <laughs> and if you make videos for a living, having the constant sound of traffic in the background becomes... Yeah. And it, and it just got to the point where I didn't hear me think, I couldn't hear me speak. Mm. Of course you could, yeah, but, of course. but my brain had tuned out all the nice bird sounds and all I could hear was the, was the traffic noise. Um, and all almost since we first moved there, we said, let's, wouldn't it be nice to have some larger livestock? So, so that was the premise. And in the back of my mind, there was, and I can make a really big garden. So... <laughs> So I'm of an age where if I'm going to make a really big garden, I need to do it now. Okay. Because because I haven't got 20, 30 years of active gardening, like heavy work, duty gardening uh, in front of me. So if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. Um, so I kind of went, yes, look, there's this lovely space. And the reality is it was we we bought during lockdown, during the mm. little bit where you, could, you were allowed to go and have a look yeah, at, yeah. at houses. But looking around properties was very limited. People were buying them like with that sight unseen. It was mad. Um, we went to look at a lot of places and we just didn't, they weren't right. Um, and we came to this house and Mr. J described it as the least worst that we'd seen. <laughs> oh dear. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think we both felt we could make it work. So, you know, we we knew that there was, uh, A, a lot of work needed doing to the house to make it how we live. Mm. And and there was just so much potential on, a, on the land. There was so much potential. And I was a bit sort of like daunted by taking on uh, something that was north-facing, something that's sloping, something that is, we're in the middle of a wind farm. We should have got the hint that it might be quite windy here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm, there's a few clues there. <laughs> <laughs> but having been uh, on that coastal site, I've got to say it's not nearly as windy here as it was at the previous place. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, so it is. You know, as you walk from the house around to uh, where the gardens are, you kind of your breath gets taken away as you go around the corner because all of a sudden it's windy. Um, but it is not as constant as it was at our old place. So, 
having had the experience of coastal winds that were just constant, this doesn't seem quite that bad. So say again, how much bigger is this new site than the last one? Uh, well, I haven't done the maths, but the last one was 0.8 of an acre and this is four and a half. Okay, so a significant so step yeah, up. six times. Six, six, yeah, yeah six thereabouts, yeah. yeah. How did you start? I mean, you, you look at this site. I mean, was it a complete blank canvas? So it had been an equestrian property. Um, so it was um, very compacted, um, overgrazed, but it did have some fencing in it. So there were the, it was fenced off into small paddocks. Mm. There's uh, mature hedging around two and a half sides of it. Um, and to me, it was just very logical. It was like start nearest the house or nearly nearest the house. There's what I thought, <laughs> what I thought was a fairly flat bit until I started gardening it. Um, <laughs> but it was like first year, we just need to get something in end of June. You know, it's not an ideal time to, no, no, to no. be planting yeah. much, but it was like getting as much as I can to give us something in the first year. And very quickly, I realised that I'd chosen completely the wrong spot. Uh, it was very stony. It was steep. It was very stony um, and was very shallow. The topsoil was seriously shallow um, and was really hard to work in. Plus, so what sort of soil have you got there? I mean, on the side of a mountain, is it quite poor? Well, uh, from an agricultural point of view, yes, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, from uh, and look at what we've actually got, I think it's pretty good. So the the first place that I tried was awful. If I go up the hill a tiny bit, uh, the the ground is wonderful. So it's it has clay in it. So it has some clay in it. Yeah. And if you yeah. dig down about eighteen inches to two feet, you can see a layer of grey clay. But above that is rich, lovely, <laughs> slightly peaty. <laughs> Oh, stop it. Moisture retentive. <laughs> it's just, it is absolutely lovely. Um, so it's not going to take me very long. Uh, no. With no dig methods of just yeah, yeah. adding compost on top to build some really nice topsoil. Um, so I, I was delighted when we first started planting trees and I went, hey, this soil's much better up here. Let's move the veg garden uh, out of the way because uh, where I first put them was also what we call, well, what Mr. J calls horsefly alley. It was just every time we went down there, there were, <laughs> yeah. I was being bitten by horseflies, which, you know, I'm not friends with. And uh, so if we moved it up a little bit, uh, up the hill, I know, how far do we move it? We moved it up about 50 feet up the mm -hmm. hill. And and all of a sudden we had this lovely, lovely, uh, lovely ground to work with. So that's where I ended up uh, creating the veg garden. So have you got a, a plan of where you're going to go with this or does it happen fairly organically based on as you've just said what the ground is like underneath as to what you're going to do with the rest of it so i have so i have got a plan i yeah. have got a plan i even have a drawn out plan but it's as with all my plans they are very flexible they are i haven't got the energy to do that but i have got the energy to do this mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. i'll start something try it and if that doesn't work i will change it so i don't i have that fluidity that um i allow myself that flexibility um but 
there is so there are two fields that I've concentrated on fields. They're paddocks, two paddocks uh, that I've concentrated on. I've made a, a half acre food forest and another half acre that has got my vegetable garden that that looks like an allotment plot uh, and an orchard in it. And um, and at the moment that's enough. Is what I've decided. That's enough now to talk, be working on and trying to manage. There's three key words there that I've picked up on at the moment. Mm -hmm. Is that like, I mean, do you have like a, a three, five year plan? Do you see, I mean, maybe just Mr. J doesn't know this. I... Oh, no, no. I've, he knows. He knows the whole plan. He knows he the, does whole, know the whole plan. Few. OK, but, so yes. <laughs> can you tell us, can you share what your three yes, to five years? Yes, absolutely. So um, I thought that this year I would uh, complete a flower garden cut flower garden with prairie star planting mm -hmm. and um, i actually made the decision about 10 days ago to not do that this year okay and allow myself uh time to really develop the food forest so over the last three days uh, i've created uh, a new border within the food forest which is about um, 90 something feet long and eight feet wide and that is becoming a shrubbery and so I'm lifting plants that I've put elsewhere thinking well, I'll have this in the flower field and I'll put a load of roses here well some of them I've planted and some haven't so the ones that are planted are getting lifted and moved up so that I'm concentrating everything in one area and giving myself permission to not spread myself too thin with the idea that once once the other you know once the food forest looks nice and established mm -hmm. then I can move on and it's half acre of food forest, you said, didn't you? Yes. Half yeah, acre just... of food forest, a quarter acre orchard, a 250 yeah. square meter raised bed for veg. Yeah. And some other things you, you've told me about, you're developing a three quarter acre flower, cut flower area and prairie style yeah. garden, planted around a third of a mile of hedging and 2000 daffodil bulbs. Yes. <laughs> and still doing the videos. Yes. And writing your second book. Oh, I don't do much housework. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the second book then, tell us about The Seasoned Gardener. What can people expect from this second book? I, and I've seen a preview copy of it. It's great, but tell us about it. So The Seasoned Gardener is basically, it's a year long celebration of the abundance that our gardens have. Uh, a celebration of our relationship with the natural world, weather, ground, um, wildlife. And it's quite a personal look at my relationship with the environment that I spend my time in, mm -hmm. with the hope that it will encourage other people to stop and just have a look and to enjoy the space they've got uh, that little bit more, and then also to enjoy the fruits of their labour. So the whole book is 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 a month by month. It starts. Uh, it doesn't go January to December. No. It starts in September, when I think my harvesting in the garden is at its highest. Mm. And um, and I look at various different vegetables and fruits throughout the book from the point of view of, of what time I'm most likely to be harvesting them. So I just wanted to have a little bit of a different take on the here's what to sow, here's when to 
plant it and, and then harvest it during that period. So I've started with the harvesting. Yeah, but there's there's so much in here. I'm just reading through loads of advice. So if anybody is looking to set out and do this, it's a there's a bible of information here um composting leaf mold what to do recipe inspiration creating a growing space wildlife it just encapsulates so much did you was it you because you asked about this second book before the first one was published did you already have the vision for the second book at that time oh no Um, (laughs) (laughs) so the book that i thought i was going to write um i started writing and i didn't feel it it just didn't flow i found it really hard to write so i went back to the publisher and said this isn't working and she said well what's the book you actually need to write what's the one that's there so i talked to her about about the season gardener and yeah. she said yeah that's so much nicer than the the previous idea uh, and they were very nice and let me run with that so now the second book is due to be published on the 30th of april mm. so with the second book Mm-hmm. You talked about how you wrote the first book. Was your approach different? Had you learned anything from the first book that you needed to actually incorporate into book two? Oh, I learned loads from writing grounded and the the writing process that I do. And I learned what I learned about me is that I'm a really visual writer. So I I have to take the chapters or the sections and write them on sticky notes, like post-it mm. note type things. Um, and I do different colour notelets for different topics, uh, whether it's wildlife or food or harvesting or what to sow and things. And so I kind of literally spread them all out on the floor and rearrange them so that they you didn't get too much of one thing yeah, yeah. in any any one area and or any one part of the book. So it wasn't t- t- top heavy of something or something else. Um, and that way I could actually kind of, meld the book together and sort of mold it into something that was a light-hearted read because I I didn't want to write a complete how-to book I didn't want to write something that you would look at and say this is an instruction manual yeah yeah but I didn't want to write something that was just a story so hopefully with Grounded and even more so with The Seasoned Gardener there is that balance between my personal stories of uh, things that may or may not have gone wrong, uh, things that I appreciate, and then some some instructional things that explain to people how they can do that too. And that is very apparent in reading both books. You have got those different layers. There's you in there, your personality, your humour, as you say, your successes and some failures along the way, which makes it real. It makes it uh, achievable for anybody picking up the book. Good. I'm really pleased about that. And one of the things with the season gardener is that I'm re- I'm really conscious we have a huge space here, mm. and I want people to to be able to pick up the book and see that they can translate, you know, what what I'm writing about into their own gardens, into their own uh, own homes, whatever size that garden is. That you don't need an enormous space. We're just being greedy. You know, yeah. we are be- absolutely we're being greedy, and we are in in a good way. And we are ex- experimenting because we can. But we've also had really small gardens and worked with, with those. So, you know, it's, I haven't just always had the luxury of having masses of space. Okay. If anybody is listening to this today who is at the point of thinking, I would love to do this, what words of encouragement would you give? Do a pros and cons list 
and um, be realistic about the cons and then focus on all the pros because it's it's so worth doing. It is, it is so worth doing. And the, the freedom that you get from growing your own food, um, there is just something wonderfully blissful about looking at your, your dinner plate and going, I did that. And one thing that you're clear to point out is that this could never be a full-time commitment. You saying that for much of it, you sit around fully occupied watching and listening to the wildlife. So for those who are thinking this is a full-on commitment, the actual growing part, no. Oh, it takes very little time. I mean, I, I usually say I spend between one and two hours a morning but not every morning so in the height of summer i might spend an hour to two hours a week gardening i might spend 20 hours in the garden but most of it as i say i'm sitting i'm watching i'm just soaking up the sun i'm listening to we've got a cuckoo and i've never heard a cuckoo before we moved here but not in real life heard one yeah 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 i can spend hours just standing listening i've never seen one I would love to see it. So I spend a lot of time just kind of standing, looking at nature and listening and watching how things interact with each other and, you know, noticing that. And it happened again this morning when I I went to let the ducks out of their house into the barn. As I walked past, soil moved on a molehill. So I just stopped and waited. And it was really cold this morning. I just waited for about 20 minutes and watched this molehill growing. And I spent, so I spend a lot of time just watching nature and just marveling at it. It's like, it's so clever. All this grand thing happening around us. Yeah. We, we can go out into our gardens. We can be heads down looking at doing whatever we're doing, but there's the whole of nature around us. Mm. It is so important to actually just stop and take it all in and enjoy it. Liz, it's been inspirational talking to you today to hear your story, to learn more about the books, how you work, the work that you've done so far alongside Mr. J and, of course, Monty the Cat. Thank you so much for coming along today and chatting to us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I used the word inspirational in my introduction and I stand by that. Liz's story is an incredible one and shows how sheer determination and being driven can take any of us on the most amazing journey. The Season Gardener has just been published by Permanent Publications and you can also get Liz's first book, Grounded, also through Permanent Publications via her website, bythefarm.com. That's B-Y-T-H-E-R-F-A-R-M, bythefarm.com. And of course, some all good online and high street book retailers. And there's also a recommendation and endorsement of the book from a certain Mike the Gardener on the back cover. And if you want to join the 120,000 plus subscribers to Liz's YouTube channel, you can find her there as Liz Zorab dash by the farm. Now, I think most of you know that I'm really an ornamental gardener. And so now I'm just heading out into my own green space for a spot of vitamin G. And if you're wondering what vitamin G is, that's vitamin green or vitamin gardening. 
Thanks as always for listening. If you're new to the podcast, welcome along. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do listen again and don't forget to follow and subscribe. And if you're one of the many, many people who come back each week, hello to you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your messages. And if you are able, any of you, to leave a review for the podcast, that would be wonderful. And in the meantime, I will see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.